Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Tuesday, November 28, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. Turning to the weather now, we're seeing a mild day ahead in Riverside with forecasts hitting a high of 69.9 degrees and a low of 61.9. It might be the perfect time to enjoy the outdoors before we head into the cooler months. In our top stories today, the members of OPEC Plus are at a crossroads, struggling to reach an agreement on oil policies for 2024. As debates heat up, there's talk we might see a simple rollover of the current policies. We'll dive into what this means for the global energy market and your wallet. And in an uplifting twist of fate, 41 construction workers in Uttarkashi, India, have been successfully rescued after being trapped for a harrowing 17 days in a collapsed tunnel. Their survival story is nothing short of miraculous, and we'll bring you the details behind their incredible rescue operation. Lastly, we're facing a significant climate funding shortage, and this has led experts and activists alike to push for sweeping financial reform to better combat climate change. We'll explore the potential solutions on the table and how this could reshape our approach to preserving the environment. Stay tuned for these stories and more, right here on Alex's News. This morning's top story takes us into the intricate world of global oil politics, where OPEC Plus talks on their 2024 policy are hitting a rough patch. Joining me to dive deeper into this is our expert reporter, Ethan. Ethan, can you bring us up to speed on the current situation with OPEC Plus? Absolutely, Grace. We're looking at the organization of the petroleum exporting countries and its allies, including Russia, collectively known as OPEC Plus. Now usually, they meet to decide how much oil they'll produce, which directly affects global oil prices. The sticking point this time, though, is the decision on oil output levels for 2024. Sources from Reuters and Forex Live indicate that these talks are anything but smooth sailing. I understand there's been talk about potentially rolling over current policies. Could you explain what that means for us and for the oil market? Sure. Rolling over the current policy means sticking with the status quo. Basically, OPEC Plus would continue with the output cuts they agreed upon last June, which amount to about 5 million barrels per day. This was seen as a step to support the market, but the fact that they aren't discussing additional cuts might signal that they're trying to maintain a delicate balance in a very volatile market. And what's the significance of these extended output cuts? Are they having the desired effect? Well, the rationale was to prop up oil prices by limiting supply. But now, the group seems to be cautious about further intervention, perhaps worried about overcorrecting our political dynamics, especially involving key players like Russia. With the meeting possibly facing a delay, what could be the consequences of this uncertainty? Delays mean volatility. Markets don't like uncertainty, and the longer it takes for OPEC Plus to reach an agreement, the more jittery investors get. This can have multiple ripple effects, from making it hard for energy companies to plan ahead, to influencing the cost of gasoline for consumers worldwide. Bearing in mind that an African producer's disagreement previously delayed meetings, are there any signs that they're moving towards a compromise now? Sources say there's been some progress on this front. 
African producers have been negotiating their output levels, which is a critical piece of the puzzle. Reaching a compromise there could pave the way for a broader consensus. But, the specifics are still under wraps. And speaking of the market, how has it responded so far to these developments? Brent crude, a major benchmark for oil prices, was up slightly, according to Reuters. But it's a snapshot in time. If the OPEC plus deadlock continues or if they opt for the rollover, prices could either stabilize or we might see some fluctuation. It's a wait and watch scenario for the global oil market right now. This is a complex and unfolding story that we will definitely keep our eyes on. Thank you for the detailed analysis, Ethan. Always a pleasure, Grace. And that was story one of three for this morning. Stick around for more updates. Chloe, you're following an incredible story of survival and rescue that's come to us from Uttarkashi, India. I understand all 41 construction workers trapped within a collapsed tunnel have been safely rescued after more than two weeks underground. Can you give us more details on this? Absolutely, Grace. It's been a harrowing 17 days for those trapped workers and their families. The workers were part of the construction team for a 4.5-kilometer tunnel, which is a part of an ambitious infrastructure project. On November 12, a section of this tunnel collapsed due to a landslide, trapping the workers inside. 17 days is a long time to be trapped underground. How did they manage to survive such an ordeal? They survived through quite an ingenious method. The rescue teams managed to deliver food and oxygen to the trapped workers through narrow steel pipes. They were huddled together in a section of the tunnel that thankfully hadn't collapsed and remained safe until rescue efforts could reach them. Can you tell us more about these rescue efforts, Chloe? It must have been a complex task getting all 41 workers out safely. It was definitely complex and involved a lot of careful planning and coordination. India's Transportation Minister Nitin Gudkari has called it one of the most challenging rescue operations in recent memory. The rescue team had to construct a passageway made of welded pipes strong enough to pull out the workers safely. And I must add, it's incredible to know that they've all been rescued and are in relatively good health. Now, with the workers being from some of India's poorest states, does this bring attention to the conditions of migrant laborers in the country? It certainly sheds light on the plight of migrant workers in India, Grace. Many of these workers travel long distances for work opportunities and often end up in hazardous conditions. It raises serious questions about worker safety, especially in geographically sensitive areas like the Himalayas, where such projects are underway. Speaking of the project's location, I've heard there are some concerns regarding this infrastructure project and its impact on the upper Himalayas environment. Could you elaborate on this? Yes, Grace. The tunnel is part of the Shardamal Weather Road project designed to connect several key Hindu pilgrimage sites. While it's beneficial for tourism and pilgrimage, experts are concerned that the extensive construction could contribute to the instability of a region that's already quite fragile, environmentally speaking. This incident might reignite debates on how to balance development and conservation. Those are definitely critical issues to consider. And finally, before I let you go, Chloe, could you perhaps speculate on the potential implications or consequences this incident might have on future infrastructure projects in challenging regions like the Himalayas? Well, Grace, there might be a stronger push for stricter safety regulations and more robust emergency response systems for similar projects in the future. 
It could also lead to a reassessment of planning projects in ecologically and geologically sensitive zones to prevent such incidents. Hopefully, this near tragedy will act as a catalyst for positive change in how such critical infrastructure developments are approached and managed. It's a story that's been both a stark reminder of the risks these workers face and a testament to human resilience and teamwork. Chloe, thank you for bringing us this thorough analysis of the situation in Utarkashi. It's been my pleasure, Grace. Thank you. Here are some other headlines. After enduring over two weeks trapped beneath the surface, 41 workers have been rescued from an Indian road tunnel using handheld drills. The workers were finally freed after a grueling 17-day ordeal, highlighting the risks associated with tunnel construction in the Himalayan region. In Vermont, the shooting of three men of Palestinian descent has sparked widespread calls for the incident to be officially recognized as a hate crime. The authorities are under increasing pressure to address the concerns of the local and national communities regarding this violent act. The fragile ceasefire in Gaza has seen an extension as Israel comes under international pressure to prevent civilian casualties in the event that conflict with Hamas resumes. The continued truce is viewed as critical to averting further escalation and loss of life in the tense region. A series of lawsuits related to sexual abuse have been filed in New York under the Adult Survivors Act, implicating various celebrities and politicians. The legal action comes after the state enabled a one-year window for adult survivors of sexual offenses to sue their alleged perpetrators regardless of when the abuse took place. Hunter Biden, son of U.S. President Joe Biden, has agreed to testify publicly before Congress, setting the stage for a potentially intense and revelatory hearing. This declaration may lead to significant political and legal ramifications, given the controversies surrounding his business dealings and personal life. These stories cover significant events impacting society, from individual well-being and legal justice to international diplomacy and domestic political developments. Now, while these stories outline the complex and often challenging nature of today's global landscape, let's pivot to something a little lighter to lift our spirits. First Lady Jill Biden has unveiled this year's White House Christmas decorations, a beautiful tradition that brings joy and cheer to many across the country. The festive season is upon us, and this act of decorating signifies a time of celebration, togetherness, and the universal hope for peace and goodwill. Stay with us for more updates after the break. Turning to a pressing environmental issue, there is growing concern about the global shortage of climate funding and its repercussions. To dig deeper into this matter, we have Ethan with us, who's been closely following the United Nations climate negotiations in Dubai. Ethan, can you give us an overview of the current situation? Absolutely, Grace. To put it simply, there's a significant gap in the climate funding necessary to reduce pollution, adapt to the increasing temperatures of our planet, and assist those developing countries that are bearing the brunt of climate disasters. This funding shortage is now a critical point of discussion at the UN climate talks. So, what's being done to address this issue, Ethan? The conversation has sifted from individual country pledges to a more systemic approach, Grace. Experts and activists are pushing for a revamp of major organizations like the World Bank and the IMF. These institutions are seen as vital for channeling more funds into countries that need it the most, especially for climate projects. 
When we talk about overhauling such big financial organizations, what does that entail exactly? Overhauling implies significant changes to how these organizations operate, grace. This could mean changing lending policies, reducing interest rates, or even creating new financial mechanisms that make it easier for poorer nations to invest in climate solutions. Moreover, it's not just about handing out more loans, it's about alleviating debt burdens so these countries can invest in their futures. That sounds like a complex process. Are there any particular reasons why these changes haven't happened sooner? That's a great question. A part of the issue is the bureaucratic pace at which these massive and long-standing organizations move, combined with varied interests of member countries. But given the amplified urgency due to extreme weather events and ongoing climate impacts, there's a stronger push than ever for rapid reform. Given all this, what might be the potential implications if these reforms and funding efforts don't materialize in time? The stakes are high, Grace. Without adequate funding and financial reform, we're looking at the worsening of global peace, security, and economic stability. Developing countries in the global south, already overwhelmed by debt, might find climate resilience out of reach, leading to more severe climate impacts globally. And is the sentiment the same among all stakeholders in the negotiations? Well, opinions vary, but the general consensus is that something needs to be done fast. Especially since countries most affected by climate change are often the least responsible for it, and yet they face the steepest uphill battle in obtaining necessary funding. It sounds like a challenging situation. Is there any optimism to be had about the outcome of these discussions, according to the reports? There's cautious optimism that the urgency of these recent negotiations will lead to actionable changes. Reports from both NPR's Michael Copley and articles from voiceofalexandria.com suggest that the need for reform is widely recognized. The hope is that this recognition translates into concrete and timely action. Interesting times indeed. Thank you, Ethan, for that in-depth analysis of the climate funding crisis and the push for financial reform. Glad to be here and share the information, Grace. Let's hope for some positive developments from the talks. Indeed. That was story three of three. We'll continue to keep an eye on this critical issue. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.